Good morning, everybody. Let's, let's pray together. We'll jump in. Well, Father, I am so excited to be together with my brothers and sisters this morning. Lord, um, I'm excited about what you have to say to us through your word this morning. And in this moment, I feel my weakness and need, um, and even my unbelief. And I just pray that you would God, would you help us to believe in these moments? Would you open the eyes of our hearts that we would see Jesus clearly, that we would remember what he's accomplished for us in his life and death and resurrection, Lord? And I know that there are many in the room today that are, that are hurting, that are weary in this journey of faith. And I pray that you would speak and you would sustain them that you would strengthen them, that you would affirm their faith, even commend their faith today by your Spirit. And I pray for my friends in the room who don't yet know whether they can trust you. Would you reveal yourself to them, Lord Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you come and would you open the eyes of our hearts? Would you cause faith to rise in this room? And Father, would you be honored and glorified in this time? In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. Amen. Well, I want to begin before we jump into Hebrews 11 by um, telling you uh, about an experience I got to have a month ago. Uh, I got to participate in a race. It was a relay, um, a running event from uh, Gonzales, Texas, all the way down here to downtown Houston. We made it like all the way to the skate park over there, and that's kind of where things ended. And it was just under 200 miles. You get 12 people on your team, and uh, it is a wild adventure. Everybody runs three different times, about five or six miles each run. And uh, you, you start at noon on Saturday, and you finish when you finish, uh, about 9 a.m., 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. And what I love about this race, what's so fun about it for me, it's, it's way more exciting than just an individual race where the streets are lined and everyone's just cheering for you. This is like you can't do it without your teammates. You have to have your brothers or your sisters as uh, it depends on how you build your team. They're with you to help you finish. You need them in the van driving next to you and in front of you so you don't miss a turn on these random country roads throughout Texas with blue bonnets on either side of the road. And you need them with you so they can give you water because it's hot on Saturday afternoon. And you need them there in the middle of the night because if you're anything like me, you're running through the middle of nowhere, Texas, at 1.30 in the morning. You have like a six and a half mile run. It's like, what am I doing with my life? Like, why, why did I sign up for this? This was a terrible idea. And it's in that moment where you need your brothers and your sisters there to say, hang in there. We're almost there. Like, there was a moment for me. I think we all had a moment in this race. But there's a moment for me where I was like, man, maybe I just need to, like, slow down a little bit. Just like, who's going to know? just kind of mail it in. It's, 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 it's dark out here. Nobody can see me. I'm just going to kind of trot my way to the finish. But then I remember that my teammate, my brother James is waiting for me at the top of the hill. I can kind of see the light on the horizon of like, man, I know he's waiting for me. He's going to take the baton. I know he's going to bring it. And so I can't just like give up right here. And I've been watching all these other guys that have poured themselves out so that our team could reach our goal. I've been watching all these courageous, inspiring performances. I know that this guy's stomach is hurting, that he's battling this hamstring injury, and he just persevered right through that and beat his goal time. How can I just bail out right here in the middle of the night? 
in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And I love, I love that weekend. It's like the craziest thing I do every year. And, and I love it so much because it's such a helpful picture of the life of faith. There's, there's a pastor and friend of Seven Mile Road that always says, following Jesus is a team sport. That we can't do this thing all by ourselves. We need our brothers and sisters around us. And what I love about this passage here in Hebrews chapter 11 is it is built upon a mountain of beautiful theology that's come before it in Hebrews 1 through 10. You just heard it last week if you were here with us. We had this exhortation back in Hebrews chapter 10 that since we have confidence to enter the, the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near. And then he introduces, the, the author introduces this idea of endurance in chapter 10, verse 36. He says, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And he talks about what it means to live by faith. And then right before chapter 11 starts, the writer says this, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, I want to talk to you about endurance and about the life of faith, and I need you to see something before we go any further. I need you to see the legacy that you're a part of. I want, I want to take you into the Holy of Holies, into God's very presence that has been opened up for you and me because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, our new home in his presence. And he says, hey, let me, let me show you around and make some introductions. Let me introduce you to your family. Your faith is of the same fabric as theirs. It is a continuation of their faith. Their faith was forward-looking, looking ahead to the coming of the Messiah, the one that God would provide as a substitute. And your faith is looking back at what Jesus has accomplished. And you're continuing this legacy of living this life by faith. And so as we dive into this passage, I want to invite you to consider, as we see the faith of our brothers and sisters, these Old Testament saints, I want you to consider what does the life of faith, what would it look like for you right now today, this week, this month, this year, to live a life of commendable faith, carrying on the legacy of those who have come before you. What we're going to see today is that we carry on the legacy of faith by looking back at God's faithfulness in the past, by looking around at the saints to our left and right, and by looking ahead to our promised future reward. Let's go ahead and dive in. Take a look at verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Man, this is an incredibly rich verse. If you're in our Mining God's Word uh, discipleship track course, we've been doing word studies and learning, learning how, to, how to really study each word, even in the original language, but also using a concordance to see how many times it's used. This would be a great verse to study because these words are so powerful. The word for assurance, I just don't want us to miss what the author's doing here. This is an incredible word. And this word for assurance, it literally means to stand under. It's this idea, if I can find it in my notes, it's this idea of um, to place or set under that which underlies. It's the basis of something. The idea of a substructure or foundation. 
That's what faith is. Faith is our foundation for our hope. And hope in the Bible, hope is not some flimsy word like, man, I hope that this happens. Our hope all throughout the scriptures, and especially the New Testament hope, is in the resurrection. The logic is, just as Christ died and rose again, he is the first fruits of the new creation, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and me when we trust in him. And as surely as Jesus is alive and seated at the right hand of the Father, we too will rise. That is our hope, that God will make all things new. He will make all things right. We are looking ahead to the resurrection. And this is the foundation, the substructure of our life. But not only that, it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. All throughout the Bible, that word conviction, it means to be convinced of the truth. Think about the Holy Spirit's ministry of bringing conviction. When we are out of step with God's word and God's ways, he shows us in our hearts where we are off. He convinces us of the truthfulness of God, how God has said that this is how we are to live, and we know that we're out of step with that. He brings conviction, but not only in that sense, he brings conviction and that he convinces us that Jesus is who he says he is. As we're reading the words of Scripture, we know that these are the words of our Creator speaking to us. It's as if we can feel the Spirit of God nodding in agreement in our hearts, saying, yes, it's true. It's true over your life. You can trust him. Jesus is who he says he is. He is the crucified and risen Savior. You can believe in him. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I have to just spend a moment helping us see that word for things not seen. It's this word pragmaton. And it literally means past events. It's, it's this idea of events or deeds, things that happened in the past. Let me just make sure I don't miss something here. It's a deed, an action, or a matter. And so to be a Christian, to say, yes, I believe in Jesus, it is to say, I am convicted personally to live in line with these past events that have taken place, even as I look ahead with hope towards what God has promised. That's what we're talking about here when we talk about faith. And I want us to keep going to verse 2 so we can see that the way that the author intends to strengthen us is he says, by it, the people of old receive their commendation. You have need of endurance. Let me take you into the Holy of Holies to introduce you to your family to see how these brothers and sisters persevered. They endured. And, And this word for commendation, please pay attention to this as we go through our time here in Hebrews 11. This is a powerful word. It shows up five times in chapter 11. It's going to show up again next week in chapter 12, verse 1, which says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, referring back to everyone we're about to talk about in Hebrews 11, that word for witnesses is the same word. It's a, it's a, it's a word play he's doing here with commendation. He is saying, that all of these people who have run this race of faith, have lived this life of faith, they are to commend, is to bear witness to, to testify. They are testifying that you can trust him. He's worthy of your trust. He is faithful. You can go all in on him. Look at what happened in our stories. That's what they're saying. And what's crazy about Hebrews 11 is we have God commending these believers. He's saying, did you see that? That right there, that's what I'm talking about. 
That's what the Lord's saying. saying, this right there, that's my girl. That's my boy. See how they trusted me. See how they believed in me. See how I came through for them. This is what God's doing in Hebrews chapter 11. He's saying, this is how you will persevere. And I just wonder, some of us in the room feel like, man, my faith is not commendable. God can't be proud of me. He can't be pleased with me. And my prayer for you all week has been that you will hear from the Lord himself, that his spirit will bear witness with your spirit, that you are a child of God, that, that he looks back over your story. We're about to read the stories of some sinful people like us. I mean, you could go back through in, in the Old Testament and read about their story, and you'd be like, man, there's some, there's some rough stuff in there. But that's not what's recounted here in Hebrews 11. Pay attention to how generously the Lord retells the story. He says, I am the God, like Isaiah 43 says, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. Someone in the room needs to hear that today, that the Lord looks at you and says that you are my beloved child in Christ, and I'm proud of you. Hear him commending you today and charging you to persevere. And for others in the room, check out verse 3, and this is for all of us, but verse 3 says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. There's some of us in the room that are like, man, I, I'm here because a friend invited me. I'm here because I'm curious. But honestly, I, I think that all of this talk about faith is misguided. I think that we're just talking about some blind, flying leap. And, and I want us to see here that what the Bible is talking about is not that. The Bible says, by faith we understand This word has to do with thinking and reason and using our mind. I've been so helped by the way that Tim Keller talks about this concept in his book, Reason for God. We give that out at the Next Steps table for any newcomers. I encourage you to pick it up. We also, um, I've been helped by his other book, Making Sense of God. And he talks about this idea of faith having three components. Faith is understanding that leads to conviction that completes itself in commitment. So faith begins by examining the facts. Look at the facts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Consider these events that took place. And, and would you even be willing to ask God that if he's there, he would reveal himself to you? That that, that understanding would lead to conviction, being convinced of the truth. His spirit is the one who does that, who helps us know that even the things that we can't see, that there is an unseen real, there is spiritual reality that is as real as the physical reality that we can see and feel and touch. The spirit of God helps us with that. But, but notice that faith is not completed until commitment. I mean, you can reason to probability, but you have to commit to have certainty. And think about this in every interpersonal relationship in your life. I mean, all of us in the room have faith. It's just a matter of what we have placed our faith in. And, and friends, we're only as strong as the object of our faith. So let me ask you, how sturdy is your life feeling today? See, what, what we realize here is that it's by faith that we understand. Like, think about when you select a doctor. I know there's a lot of medical professionals in the room. It involves this process of understanding, of research, of even like talking to other people that you know and trust so that you could be convinced of the truth that this is going to be a good idea. But it's not until you commit yourself, until you lay yourself on the table, right, that you have, you have fully developed that faith development process. 
Or think about in other areas of life, when you hire a new teammate on, uh, at work, or, or how about a, a more heavy one, when you select a spouse. It involves understanding that leads to conviction that completes itself in commitment. That's what we're talking about here. We do this in every area of life. Here's the question. Is the object of your faith worthy of your trust? Have you examined the facts to see your understanding move to being convinced, being fulfilled in commitment? And let me just say, all of us in the room struggle with this. Can we just be honest and say we need each other, that we all have questions and doubts, and I hope that you find this to be a really safe community for those who doubt. We need each other to persevere, and we need to look back at God's faithfulness together. But not only that, we carry on the legacy of faith by looking back at God's faithfulness and then looking around to the saints to our left and right. And here we go. This is, uh, we've got our work cut out for us. Verse 4 down to verse 38 and, uh, and let me just say, this author, the writer of Hebrews, pulls a preacher move in verse 32 and says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me. I know what he's talking about right there. I feel that. Like time would fail me to tell you about every single one of these. So I hope that you can just listen as I try to take you on a tour of the room in the kingdom of heaven, just introducing you to some of your family. I would encourage you to go back and read this. Go back and study. There's like hundreds of different rabbit trails we could chase and allusions and footnotes that we could run down from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament. I encourage you, may this be an encouragement for you to go read the Old Testament and see the richness of the legacy of faith that's fulfilled in the New Testament. But that's enough of an intro. Let's go ahead and dive in. Look around at the saints. I want us to see who is in this hall of faith, as it's so famously called. Look at these case studies. Your faith is of the same fabric as theirs. Let's see what faith looks like in specific people's stories and circumstances. Look at Abel in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended, there's that word again, as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. God saying that, that right there is what I'm talking about. And what we see from Abel is wholehearted worship. He, he gave God his very best. He said, God, you're worthy of my entire life. You're worthy of it all. That's what faith looks like. It's wholehearted worship. But, but not only that, time would fail me to linger much longer. Let's take a look at Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken them. And then here's, here's the word again. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And we get this summary statement in verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You know, if you were to go back and read about Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, twice over it says that Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. Do you walk with God? Through, through the hard days, the difficult days, and the joyful days, do you live every day as this is a day with God, a day in his presence. Whatever today looks like, I'm going to live this with him. That's faith. God says, that's what I'm talking about. He walked with me and I took him home to be with me. And the same is true of us by faith in Jesus, that even death can only bring us closer to him. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He says, do you believe this? That when you cross from this life to next, Jesus will be waiting to greet you. As surely as he rose from the grave, you too will rise. 
And I want us to see that your faith pleases God. Like when you draw near to him, that, that phrase, man, that phrase shows up over and over in the book of Hebrews. We saw it in chapter 4, in chapter 7, in chapter 10. Most recently in chapter 10, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Brothers and sisters, that's the invitation. Draw near. That's what faith looks like. John Calvin said it this way about prayer. He said, prayer is the chief exercise of faith. And if we could just be honest, the seasons where our prayer life is really hard, it's like, man, I just struggle to desire to commune with God in that way, to call out to him. What we're really saying is, man, I'm struggling with unbelief right now. I'm struggling with my faith. It doesn't feel like Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and everything is put in subjection under his feet. It doesn't feel like that. I'm struggling with unbelief. And what God is saying is, would you look back at what I've accomplished in the past? You have access to the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus. Would you live your life in line with the truth of the gospel? No more living in guilt and shame, saying, how could God love me? Because we have brought our lives in conformity with the good news of the gospel. We're living in line with these past events. God says that you are mine, but also not living in unrepentant sin, saying, oh, I'm just gonna keep chasing this, this worldly pleasure. How can we still live in it when Jesus has rescued us from that? As soon as we become aware of it, we turn away from that old way of doing life and we lay hold of him by faith. We draw near. This is what we're being invited to, brothers and sisters. What would this faith look like in your life today? To believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He is a good and loving father. But let's keep moving because time would fail me. Verse seven, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear. Think about that phrase for a second. Faith looks like reverent fear, even when it makes no logical sense to those around you, when they're ridiculing you, saying, you actually believe what God said? In reverent fear, he keeps moving forward. He works his faith out in the actions of his life, in the actions of his of his body. It's this commitment of his soul to God that affects the way that he lives. Reverent fear. What would that look like in your life today? But then we got to move on to Abraham, and there's a lot about Abraham here. Abraham obeyed. Faith looks like obedience. It looks like going to an unfamiliar place. He didn't know where he was going, verse 8 said. For some of you, you might feel like God is calling you to step out in something unknown, unseen, the way that we persevere in that is we look back at how he's always been faithful. He's never failed me yet. And we look around to our brothers and sisters in our moments where our faith wavers, saying, hey, will you pray for me? I'm having a hard time believing this. I want us to see verse 10. I think this one will be up on the screen. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I mean, God made these promises to Abraham saying, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to bless you so that you'd be a blessing, that in you all the families of the earth would be blessed. And yet most of his life, Abraham's traveling around living in tents. He never saw the fulfillment of so much of this. He had to live his whole life waiting for God to provide Isaac. We're going to get to him in just a second. But he trusted God as he's living in tents. He's looking forward to the heavenly city saying, God, I trust you. 
you, you're faithful. I've seen your actions in the past, and I trust that they're a promise and a pattern of how you're going to provide in the future. I'm going to hold on to you by faith. But then Sarah herself, man, I love this one. By faith, Sarah, verse 11, received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. That word considered is this beautiful word. It means she reckoned. She did the work of an accountant. She considered God's faithfulness, his character, his goodness, his power. That even though this is physically impossible, I'm believing that God is able to do this. And what I love is that What God remembers is not that Sarah laughed at him when he made that promise to her. What he remembers is, no, 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 you persevered. You trusted me. That's what I'm talking about. God commends her faith. And we see that again from Abram. If you skip down to verse 19, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. When God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, you know what he said to his servant? He said, I and the boy will go over there and worship, and we will return to you. He said to his son Isaac, I mean, Isaac said, God, he said, uh, Dad, where is the, the animal? And, and what Abram said, you remember, he said, the Lord will provide. The Lord himself will provide. Do you see this faith that is of the same fabric as yours? Do you reckon that even though the situation in front of you feels impossible, that God is the God who raises the dead? Like, think about the person in your life that you've been praying for. You just want them to know the joy and the peace and the love that you found in Jesus, but it feels so impossible that this person would ever trust Jesus. What would it look like for you to reckon that God is able to even raise the dead? What would that faith lived out in your story right now look like? How would that affect the way that you pray if prayer is the chief exercise of faith? I want us to read this summary in verses 13 through 16. I think it'll be up here for you. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, and a, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Do you know what it is to live as a stranger and exile on earth, who's not making decisions merely in light of this life, but you're making decisions in light of the fact that we will enjoy eternity in God's presence with brothers and sisters throughout time from every nation and tribe and tongue? Is that what your faith looks like right now? Are you arranging your life in that way, saying, I'm looking forward to the city that has foundations. I'm desiring a better country that is a heavenly one. And I know that my God has loved me to death and back. And he's not ashamed to be called my God, and I'm not ashamed to be called his child. I will testify to his faithfulness and his goodness. I will live my life in this way. You could look in verse 20 at Isaac. Verse 21 at Jacob, verse 22 at Joseph. They're they're pronouncing these blessings. They're looking ahead to God's deliverance in the Exodus. And then Moses in verse 23, Moses' parents hid him for three months. They said, we're going to put our lives on the line out of reverence for God and out of love for this precious baby. 
our life for his. That's what they were saying. It's a risk-taking faith out of reverence for God. We see that same type of faith from Rahab in verse 31. She hides these spies knowing that her life is on the line, but it's out of reverence for the true and living God. Do you have a risk-taking faith like that? What would that look like for you to say, hey, this may cost me, but my God is worthy for me to put myself out there in this way? You know, if I could just speak to the moms and dads in the room for just a second, parents that have this type of risk-taking faith, your children will take note. Look at Moses in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And that's how we will endure as well. Moses saw his parents risk-taking faith, and he believed in the Lord as his God, and he endured as with the eyes of his heart locked on the one true God, even if his life was on the line before Pharaoh. He endured. Verse 26 Don't miss this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Do you consider the reproach of Christ greater wealth than any treasures this world can provide? Think about the apostles in Acts chapter 5. They're arrested, they're beaten, and they leave rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Do you see that our faith is a continuation of their faith. I had a professor uh, that explained the Old Testament saints' faith to me in this way, and it's been so helpful. Salvation has always been by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Their faith was looking ahead to God's promised Messiah who would be the substitute sacrifice. They were looking ahead to Jesus. Our faith is looking back at how Jesus came to rescue us. Our faith as well is Our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Did you notice these references to Christ and to the resurrection? And so here we are in verse 32. Time would fail me to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel, but I want us to see what they did. Look at these achievements that happened by faith that God accomplished through them Check this out. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. But don't miss the point. Don't miss what happens next. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Their hope was in the resurrection. Verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You see, the same faith that achieves great things by the power of God also endures in the midst of suffering. 
I mean, this is what we hear from Daniel's friends, from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back in Daniel. You remember? They are threatened with being thrown into the fire, and they say, Oh, King, we have no need to answer you in this matter, for the God that we serve is able to deliver us. But even if not, we will not serve your gods. They say that the God that we serve is worthy of all of our life, all of our worship. He is better than anything that life has to offer and anything that death could take away from us. Do you know him in that way? This is the faith that you get to carry on. We come to a passage like this and we feel like, man, this is just so high and lofty. This looks nothing like my life at all, right? We feel that. We're like, man, I, I could never be in this list. And yet every one of these people were great sinners in need of a great Savior. Like, we will get to be seated around the table with them one day, and, and we will realize that they are cheering us on. They're saying, you can endure. Jesus is worthy. He is better Run your race with endurance. All week, brothers and sisters, I've been praying for you that you would live with this type of commendable faith. It's by looking back at God's faithfulness, looking around at the saints, and we'll, we'll close here. Take a look at verse 39. Look ahead. Look ahead to the promised future reward. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what, is promise, what was promised, since God prepared something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What is better that we have received? Jesus is better. All these people endured looking ahead to the Messiah. They didn't even know his name. But we with the eyes of faith, as we gather, as we spend time in his word, as we sing the songs of the Lord, as we pray together, we get to behold him with the Spirit's help. We realize that he really did come and live and die and rise again for us, and he loves us. He loves sinners like you and me. Would you lay hold of him by faith? All of these did not receive what was promised since God prepared something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect because God's design, his intent is that people from every nation and tribe and tongue, believers past, present, and future would be gathered around his throne, that we would be his bride and he is our true bridegroom, that we would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is our family. This is our legacy. And so my prayer for everyone in the room is this. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus, would you remember all that he has done for you? Would you live your life in line with these past events? looking ahead to the hope of the resurrection. And friend, if you've come today and you're still wondering whether Jesus is who he says he is and if he's trustworthy, we're so glad that you're here with us. My prayer is that you would trust him today, that you would see that no one has ever loved you like he has. He has proven his trustworthiness at the cross. He laid down his life so that we could be forgiven, and he rose again. And my prayer is that you would experience the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your souls. Let's pray together. So Jesus, we thank you that you have accomplished 
this work. You have accomplished the salvation of our souls, the outcome of our faith. I pray that every person in this room would know you and that you would deepen their faith in you today, that even though they can't see you, with the eyes of faith, Holy Spirit, would you help us see? Help us to see what is so real, the unseen reality of who you are and what you've done. Would you help us to endure and persevere? Would you give us this type of heart to encourage one another, to exhort one another every day, to help each other endure, help each other finish the race that you've given us to run. Jesus, we love you. You alone are worthy of our trust. Help our hearts to respond to you now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.